0: As always, thank you, Mr. Jeezy, for the wonderful introduction. What's up, everybody? This is another Reading Room podcast edition. My guest today is the author, Tom Coyne, and we are talking about the October book selection, which is his work, Paper Tiger. Tom is a native of Philadelphia, actually is an English professor at St. Joseph's, where I hope to one day audit one of his classes um he's an author of numerous books including a gentleman's game paper tiger a course called ireland and his newest work uh which we actually just spoke to him about on the main nlu podcast a course called scotland uh, he's one of my favorite authors i love the way he writes about golf um He's a regular contributor to the Golfer's Journal, and it was a, a real pleasure getting to speak to him about Paper Tiger. So let's get to the interview without further uh, delay. Here is my conversation with Tom Coyne. Tom, great to talk to you again, man. It, uh, it's, it hasn't been that long. This is great. I, I could get used to this. I
1: know. We went for like so long, never having conversed. And now um, twice in a couple weeks, so yeah. Thanks for uh, having me back to talk talk a little talk a little. Paper Tiger, man, I was so excited to see the post. Um, it popped up on my social media that you uh, not only had a book club, which is outstanding,
0: um, but that we're going to talk
1: about Paper Tiger. So it's really cool. I appreciate it.
0: Well, yeah. Um, it, the, the The pleasure is all on this side, and quite honestly, I was it's one of those things where it's like, I would love to talk to you about all the books you've written. And as like, I almost had to play it cool. Like, all right, don't, don't do your book for the first month. Don't do, (laughs) you know, like, you know, just, just be cool. Let a few months go. Um, But anyway, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to talk about, to talk to you and to talk about paper tiger um, specifically, because I think, you know, and maybe some of the people haven't read the book who are listening to this. I can't believe Uh, that. I I can't either, Um, but my first question is what the genesis for the book was, and if you could kind of describe in in macro detail um, what the book is about for anybody who hasn't read it yet.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Paper Tiger is, uh, it's subtitled An Obsessed Golfer's Quest to Play with the Pros, and um, it basically follows my story um, my quest to play next level golf. Uh, I think that every golfer has that, that fantasy, that dream, that question of, um, you know, you hit one good shot and you think, you know, Ooh, wait, I, I can do this. You know, uh, what, or you hit two good shots and you think golf has this way of tricking you into thinking that you might be better than you actually are. And I thought, and I'd always wondered, you know, I was a decent junior golfer, but um, didn't play in college and did other stuff. And I I always wondered, you know, if I had everything that they, those other kids had when they were growing up or, and not that I had like a tough childhood, but, you know, I wasn't like bouncing around on the AGGA and with coaches and all that stuff. And and I thought, you know, if I had all the stuff that the pros have, you know, I wonder like how, how good could I get, you know, as like a 10, 11 handicap. And, 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 you know, when talking to people, I think everyone thinks the same thing. Because golf's funny. Like, you don't watch basketball and think that you can do what LeBron James can do because that's just a different. I'll never, I can't dunk, like, and I can't train three pointers. That's, that's never going to happen. But, like, I've made 20 foot putts and, you know, I've holed it from bunkers and I've hit big enough drives and all that stuff. So there's this sense as you watch, I think, elite golfers that, um, Hey, they're kind of doing what I do too. So that, that fantasy was certainly trying to live that was was the idea behind the book. Um, it grew out of um my first book was a was a novel, um, a gentleman's game. Which of course all the listeners are certain well, less chances that they're familiar <laughs> with that one for sure.
0: No, no, I was gonna say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, gentlemen's game. Um <laughs> and, and that was, you know, fiction. And I started off as a life my writing life as a fiction writer and um, spent a couple years kicking around other novels um, doing stuff that wasn't trying some stuff that wasn't golf related. And, um, you know, came back to this idea that, you know, in, in a gentleman's game, I kind of wrote everything at that point in my life at 25 years old that I kind of knew about the world was, was in that book uh, I grew up caddying and playing golf, and that's what that book was about. So I realized, you know, I have to go out and live an adventure, live an experience to give me, to give me more to write about. Um, and so that's where I kind of transitioned to nonfiction, and that's what I've been doing ever since. And, and kind of following this, this formula of, all right, go do something crazy that, that people or other golf, golfers specifically would love to do, you know, and
0: live to tell the tale. Well, talk to me about the logistics of the whole operation. How, what was that process like? How well prepared were you? Um, this was, I believe, the, the quest started in May of 2003, so about 15 years ago. Jeez, um, it's been that long, and oh, it, God. yeah, and it, and it lasted, um, or it kind of culminated in December of 2004. So, right, uh, essentially looking at what 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so talk to me about the logistics of that 18-month period and how much of that was planned going in, how much um, was kind of on the fly. Yeah. Did Yeah, talk to me about that process. Some of it, I mean, I planned as much as I could. A lot of it ended
1: up being on the fly as I kind of learned what I was up against or learned what good players actually do. So I just sort of had a general notion of things that I did need, which would be a coach, um, a shrink, a personal trainer, someone to do, you know, um, fitness, golf fitness with me. So like 2004, you know, not everybody's, you know, now we take it for granted that all like players are in the gym, but maybe 15 years ago, um, like core strength and all that was kind of like a hot buzzword, I guess. Um, as a concept. So, so I needed to a shrink a trainer, a coach, I wanted to have an equipment sponsor and I wanted to go where the golf was. So I moved to, I moved to Florida. Um, I moved to Bonita Springs near Naples, um, and worked with, I actually went around to a few different coaches, um, some sort of brand name coaches and, um, ended up working with a, a guy, um, Dr. Jim Suddy. Uh, who was at that time at Twin Eagles uh, in Naples, and I, I think still might be there in the summertime. In the winter, he's up in Chicago. Um, but he coached. Um, he was sort of one of the first uh, guys to get use technology, use video work, really, um, to sort of identify swing types, and, and 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 had written books about the golf swing, and had worked with Azinger and Lauren Roberts and Jip Beck, and sort. Of, so, so it was sort of a that era. Uh, you know, eighties, but I had a lot of young guys in a stable and an incredible, uh, facility. So, um, I found him, started working with him. Um, but yeah, a lot of it in terms of like my play and where I was going next, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of that on the fly. Cause I knew yeah. I, I had to start playing. I had to play a lot of tournaments. I had to get comfortable, um, playing that kind of golf. So I was just kind of signing up for anything I could get into traveling around to like PAT tournaments. um, playing local amateur stuff um just kind of just playing my brains out i mean i played 542 days in a row um i, I played yeah. christmas morning man it was like insane oh um, god
0: it sounds miserable
1: <laughs> it kind of got miserable <laughs> there's no doubt about it I, I mean there was definitely um the golf blues you know definitely set in yeah but i was i was committed you know because it was like it if I do this half assed it's not a book. Um, and, and then I'm also wondering, you know, what could I have been or what could I have done if, if I pull any punches? So I, I went, I went all out.
0: Um, well, and I want to get to the golf blues. I, I think that's a very interesting topic, but I want to start at the very beginning in May of 2003. Uh, in, in the book, you say your reported weight was 224 pounds negotiable handicap, uh, probably hovering somewhere around 10. Talk to me about, you know, kind of that that mindset and your expectations.
1: Yeah, so that was, I mean, it wavered, right? I mean, there were moments when, you know, when I'm planning this and I'm at the laptop writing about it, and I'm like (laughs) off the golf course where I can, I'm feeling like I can do this, man. Like, look, I've got it all (laughs) planned out. Like, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna be on the tour. And then certainly, you know, there are moments when, you know, you're on the third tee and, you you know, you hit one in the water and you just feel like you've never held a golf club before where where you feel like, you know, I'm so far away from where I thought I would be. Um, and, and so that could, like, kind of waver on a, on a daily basis. But, I mean, going into it, I, I honestly believe that I could make a good run, a good showing in a qualifying school somewhere. Um, now, of course – this is before having teed it up with anyone who plays in these qualifying schools. Um, this was before playing any, before ever playing a four day tournament. Um, but I definitely had the conviction. I didn't do it. You know, the book's title is an homage to like George Plimpton's paper lion. Um, and he did these participatory sports books, nonfiction books, where, um, like he went and played with the Detroit Lions and the bogeyman Man, he tried to play on tour, but there was it was kind. Of, they were great books, but they're kind of a send up. Like he, he knew he wasn't good, so it was just kind of a, cha- a look behind the curtain. Um, but they're I mean, they're they're great stories, but I wasn't doing that. Like I honestly, I w- This wasn't a gag. Like I really, I you know, I don't know if it was the PGA Tour or the Latin American Tour or the Canadian Tour or something. but I felt like there was going to be some moment along the way where I would break through and 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 feel like I'd arrived at another sort of level, a level of golf. Um, that And that may have happened in some way, but, you know, um, maybe not in the way that I had anticipated.
0: And I, I think that's a, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it certainly, you know, I, I think you kind of breezed over your golf background, but you have enough kind of bona fides in the golf world, and you write about it, I, at no point in th- did it seem like a complete novelty act, and I think yeah. that's what's fun um, for myself, who, you know, I, I enjoy golf, or, or for anybody reading it who, who really enjoys golf, is it's you're almost the ideal um, participant in this experiment, in that, you know... You write about it very well, you take it very seriously. You've had enough golf in your background to um I, I, it just makes you the perfect kind of uh test subject, if you will. Yeah. So I'm, I hope so. Yeah, I wasn't a, it was I was good enough
1: where it wasn't a a total joke, but I wasn't so, you know, bad that it was like why do you, why are you bothering, you know. Um so yeah, I can see I can see that.
0: Well, you talk about wanting to take your golf game, uh, to another level. And I, you know, talking to other folks who have read the book, I I think, I think the one thing you write about in paper tiger that I use most often and even that I think about most often is the golf pyramid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I'll kind of, do you mind, um, Kind of going through that yeah, and, no, and sure. explaining, because I, I, I think it's very—it's it, fascinating.
1: I think it—I think it was—it became pretty clear to me as I started to go around and play these semi-pro or professional events um, that I probably wasn't supposed to be playing as an amateur, but whatever. I was just playing anything that I could get into, and um, it's funny. I would show up at like our Philadelphia section PGA events and play in them, and and like the pro at our club would be like, "What the hell are you doing here, man? You're not even." You're not even in the PGA program. I'm like, they took my check. I don't know. I'm here. So, But I started to learn about all these sort of different levels of talent. And, yeah, that's probably the thing I hear about more from readers than anything else um, is the talent pyramid that I was sort of like discovering. And, you know, the bottom the, these rungs of golf greatness. And, like, the bottom of that pyramid is, like, the best golfer you know, like the best guy you've ever played with, like the plus two handicap at your golf club that you think – why isn't he on tour? You know, um, like he's the worst dude on the talent pyramid. Well, you know, yeah,
0: your, your quote about these people that I think is so good is it's very succinct. You say they're shit, <laughs> scratches <laughs> shit. It's like it you know, a, as somebody who's of, you know fluctuates between like an eight to an eleven handicap, it's like oh god, <laughs> right? No, yeah. I mean,
1: and that was such a revelation because that's well, I, I thought. I wasn't that naive to think I didn't have to get better than Scratch, but I thought if I could get to Scratch, then I know I've got par in me, and par can be good enough some days and all that. And then you realize, like, man, Scratch is shit. These guys are not Scratch. they're <laughs> These guys who can't make it, they're plus eights, if really, if, if they ever bother keeping their handicap. So, I mean, so you've got, yeah, the Scratch player at your club, and then you've got above that, you know the good club pro you've got the good journeyman mini tour player you've the, got the I'm probably yeah, the, the
0: stud amateurs right um the attached club club pro right um, who's
1: just yeah who's at the club but he's really a player you know, he, he just teaches and, and plays in your local events.
0: Yeah, and then this is where I think it gets interesting. So, so yeah, it goes the, the, the scratch guys, the best player you know, and then up from there the club pros, up from there the stud amateurs, up from there the attached club pros, and then uh, the mini-tour philanthropists. And you still <laughs> yeah. call these guys dead money. These are the guys, um, well, I'll let you talk about it, but these are the guys essentially going around week to week, but they're not really making any money. They're paying in but not taking anything out.
1: Right. I mean, because think about how like these mini tours, you know, they're all over the place, you know, how they really operate. I mean, it's just a it's a gambling pool, essentially, you know, they're, they're not paying, they're not getting sponsor money in there. So it's, you know, everyone's throwing in 200 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever. And, uh, and they're playing for that kitty. And only the top 10 guys every week are, are, are taking it home. So what about those ninety other guys? You know, they're those are the philanthropists that are building up the prize pool, but they're so damn good, though. You know, most—I mean, there's probably a couple legitimate pretenders on there, but um, but there's still sticks all the way, and uh, yeah. So that's that's another level of like um, of guys that I'd see play and 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 think, you know. You're just amazing, you know. I'd look at them. There's not no shot you can't hit, and 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 the way you play in tournaments and all that. It's just, but if 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 they're not doing 66 every day in Florida, um, they're not going anywhere. And and that 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 just became this crazy revelation to me. So yeah, you go from them, and then I guess at some point you get to the the guys who are actually making money on the mini tours. You know.
0: Yep. And then um, the guys who are Yeah, in the book you say this is where it kinda of turns from from red to black. So yeah. you know, as you move up, these guys are actually making a little bit of money. And it's the mini tour guys, the uh the web dot well, now the web dot com yeah, tour. God, earners. What was it then? Um I believe it was nationwide. It was nationwide, book. right? Yeah. And then and then you get onto the PGA tour and you still have you know, these different classifications, the survivors, uh, the solid players, and, and then the stars. Yeah, That are up at that very tippity top. <laughs> yeah, and, and all of these guys, and I think that's what needs to be said is this whole pyramid essentially starts at like the top 1%, maybe even, you know, less than that. Absolutely. But, but essentially it's the top 1% of golfers is where this whole pyramid even starts. Yeah. Um, which is... Crazy. Which you is remember? crazy,
1: and then you think, what at the hey at the end of the day, from top to bottom, what's actually separating them? Maybe five strokes in competition, but that's still like so that five strokes is five strokes that guys have been chasing their entire lives and will continue to chase their entire lives if they if they stick with it. It's it's just uh, it's it's really tough, um, and yeah, and that was like. When the book came out, I you know I remember there's a there's an amateur in this area who, um, has won the Crump Cup at Pine Valley. He's uh, made it to the quarterfinals of the USM and semis of the Minim and all that. And and I heard we played junior golf together, and I hadn't heard from him in years. And and he wrote to me out of the blue and just said thank you for the talent pyramid in your book because he's like <laughs> I show that to all the people who ask me you know why aren't you on the tour. And he's like, because you know, I'm doing. I, he's has has had an awesome amateur amateur career, and uh, and he has a life, and it's all good. But he's like, I, you know, I show them that, and and you know, to understand, you know, that no, I'm not Tiger Woods just because I, you know, shot 65 today at um, at Marion. You know, there's there is still a difference.
0: Do you think that five, six, seven shot difference is? How would you weight that in terms of? Physical ability and uh, physical ability as opposed to um, mental ability, kind of somebody's I guess, psyche. I,
1: I think you'd have to go psyche. I think you'd have to go with the guys because the guys I met who were making money um, and did seem to kind of be sort of lifting themselves out of anonymity, um, they played with a swagger. That I don't know. That I did not. Certainly, I didn't possess it, and I don't know where you get it. Um, That sort of comfort level with um, with a golf course. You know that that this is like their office. Stay out of my way. I'm here doing my thing. Um, I just you know, confidence is the obvious word, but it was it was more of like this incredible. Comfort in their um, in their tournament skin, and just this feeling that these are like artists, and this is their working space where they do their thing and that and it was it was uh it was beautiful to see, and it was intimidating as hell because it was just something i didn't uh, it's something I, I didn't feel at all. I felt nervous as hell and all these in, in these events and um and felt very different from those guys who basically like look almost looked through you like you weren't there Um because they were there to do something very serious and do it well Um because that's what they did. They, they made birdies. They, they fucking destroyed golf courses, you know, like they just went low and, and me, I always thought they, they had no respect for par. Um That was something that like I can par was always good for me, man. I love par's always my friend. You know, birdies are great, but, you know, I'll snuggle up to par any day of the week. And these guys hated par. And that kind of relentlessness um, combined with the physical – they all had the physical ability. But there were some dudes who just – it just – they just went around and it made it look like they're not even trying. And it's just fairway green one putt. And that that was always just like, god
0: damn, how do you do that? Uh, Yeah, so – in your book, you have a, a quote that I really like, and it says, "There is a real genius in being able to play a mindless round of golf," mm. and, and I think that um, speaks to you know everything we're talking about here. My question is, and, and I want to get back to your eighteen-month experience as well: is that genius? Can that genius be learned? I mean, I think that was essentially the experiment, um, right? Absolutely. You know, that, that it boils down to for you almost is. You know, can you play a mindless round of golf?
1: Play like an athlete, just play a game, right? You know yeah. that—that um, is—that's the whole. I, I really discovered that to be like the whole challenge and the brilliance um, in in guys who could just do that. And I—I I don't know if I mean I don't think I could learn it. You know, um, especially with the time that I was given. And it's probably something you have from the first time you swing a club or pick up a wiffle ball bat or kick a soccer ball that just sense that like this sport or this activity makes sense to you and you don't have to think too much about it. Um, there's guys I think that probably just have that and maybe just approach things in life that way. It could just be a whole outlook on on life, like that you don't take things too deeply or seriously. I mean there were at one point during the book someone told me pretty early on, um, as I was describing my endeavor and all the things I was gonna do and you know, they, they told me, you know, if you're going to do this and and play at the next level, you're going to have to get a lot dumber. And, and, and it didn't mean, and, and I don't mean that to say that I'm smart. And I don't mean that as a slight to people who play great golf, but what he meant, I think was that you've got all this stuff in your head and you're, you know, a, you're a writer, you're analyzing everything. You're looking at everything from all angles. Um, you just got to get like real, like mono in your thinking and just where it's just fairway green putt and and almost like you know um sort of like caveman about it like and 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 i played with some of those cavemen and and damn, they were so like they were so good i mean you wouldn't have you know yeah sure you wouldn't talk about You know politics or Shakespeare with them, but who cares? They can golf their asses off, and 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 it it was just awesome to see. Um, You know, and they were, you know, just they were they. It's like they were golf. You know, they were golf golf beings, and uh, it was pretty wild.
0: It's God that that, to me, that's the most fascinating uh, part of golf, or really any sport or activity, is that balance between folks who just have kind of that calm mind when they're doing something and yeah. then you know there are some folks who are able to you know find flow or you know what, whatever you want to call it kind of be in the zone um, and then you know and then I feel like there are folks like me who like cannot stop thinking about you know the the littlest things and it's just it's, right it's, it's yeah. both maddening and and just so fascinating.
1: It is. It's like, it's frustrating and yet fulfilling at the same time. Like that's the great thing about golf is how it just spins your head, you know? But, um, if you just, if you want to shoot 59, don't have a spinning head, you know, (laughs) like you need to have a really, really empty head. I would imagine if, (laughs) um, and, and it was kind of cool to see some dudes who sometimes like just had, had an empty head for their golf. Sometimes like literally kind of looked a little dim. And, uh, and I mean that, and in, in, Hey, and I would have trade, um, dimness for, you know, the golf that they could, uh, produce without a doubt. You know, they just kept things sort of simple. It was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go smash that driver. I'm going to make that putt. Why wouldn't I? Right. I'm like, no, you don't right. understand, <laughs> man. This is complicated shit. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, so it's, it, it's, it is a genius. It is a kind of beautiful thing.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get back. Let's get back to your to, to your experience. Um, not to not to give too much away. Um, I, I'm always. I, I think in a book like this, maybe we don't have to talk about the very final conclusion. But mm-hmm. I, I will say, um, you know, I I don't think it's given away too much. So you started at ten handicap. Talk to me about the progression of your game. Um, yeah you know kind of hit some of the, what what were some of the high points during those 18 months some of the low points um that that stick out to you
1: so high points i mean i de-
0: it was cool
1: to watch my handicap shrink it was cool to watch my waistline shrink and pounds shed and 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 like and like muscles come like i hadn't been in shape really since high school so that was felt miraculous um and so there was, I was, there was this quantifiable progression of like, Ooh, I'm getting better. Like my handicap's going down. I'm on these, the balance monitors looking better every time I'm there at the, at doc studies and, and this, the changes we're making are becoming, you know, so technically I could see improvement, which was really awesome. And I got down to like a plus one handicap, um, which, you know, I was like, damn, that's, I never thought my handicap would be that low. Um,
0: let, let yeah, me ask you this. Cool. Let, let me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I think all. this is as somebody who is a 10 handicap, and you know, for for me, maybe the holy grail of of golf is is that scratch handicap. Is there? It, it, are there secrets? Are there aha moments along the way, or is it more just rooted in sheer process and repetition? Let's see.
1: Uh, hedge it and say there's a little bit of both. I would say the process part is that my golf course just became a little thinner, if you will. It got, like, the golf course that I played became tighter, um, which was cool. And and that had to do with, like, okay, like, my equipment got tuned and now I had a, like, a pr- a, a pretty grooved swing and, like, the muscles and the flexibility to do it. So instead of, like, hitting the, the wild one that would – you know, turn my 74 into an 81, you know, um, those started to get deleted. So the golf course started to like shrink a little bit. So, so that way, so my range of scores just like on a bad day, now my score is 75 instead of 82. So, so that helps. Um, but then yeah, the aha moments of, um, I can, I definitely remember feeling a a shift toward my mentality, um, and being that par wasn't good enough and that every hole, um, that every hole was a birdie opportunity at somewhere along the line, um, that started, to, that's how I started to look at golf holes, um, making threes instead of fours. And, and that was fun. Um, and, and I don't know where that necessarily, I think it just came from the where I, I, I knew where, damn it. I knew where the ball was going. And and that is like such a gift. And man, I want it back so badly. Um, There was this window of like, if you put me at 150 yards, I absolutely feel like there's 98% chance I'm going to hit the green. And I can even decide if I wanted to be above or below the pin. Like, that was pretty, that was really cool. Um, So, so that just shrinks up your, my score started to shrink that way for sure
0: um talk to me about the golf blues what, what were the what were the low points holidays so, many, many <laughs> <Probably. little> points. <laughs> so you know
1: like i think i mentioned this before like um when we spoke last week it's a really wonderfully entitled privileged problem to have golf depression but damn it if i didn't have a lot of it you know it was um you know when you've given absolutely everything and like at this point and I don't have a hell of a lot of money, you know, I'm 30 years old, I'm still, I think I'm still living with my parents for Christ's sake. And, um, i am spending all my money on golf and I've given all this time, money, put my publishing career on the line too, because if I totally flame out, I don't have a book. Um, and there, you go out there and there are days when you suck. Um, and, and you just feel like, it, it just it literally it does break your heart, you know, but you're in a relationship with this game, you know, and you're just giving, 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 and then it's giving you shit back. And, um, it feels very unhealthy and, uh, and you start to wonder it, it, that's where it gets deep and dark where it's not even just about like, Oh, a bad score or I didn't make that putt. It becomes like this thing about your identity because golf becomes so inex- inexorably tied to who you are. And then when you find out, Oh, maybe I'm not a good golfer um, that can real that started really screw with my head. And uh, so there were times around the, you know, funks, I think around the middle of the experience where I, I started to, you know, doubt myself. And then you come out of that, you have a, you know, you start to play well for a little while and then you go back into it. But it's a tricky thing when the thing that you love to do, you tie so closely to actually who you are. Um, that can be a little bit, emotionally that that's a little bit uh i don't know risky dangerous because if it doesn't go well you start thinking you're not just a bad golfer but you're a piece of shit overall
0: and um that's no fun (laughs) well and it's all relative too which i think um makes it even harder you know we talked about the golf pyramid it's 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 brutal and you know in, in absolute terms you were a very good golfer but in, in relative terms, you know, to your point, it, it, <laughs> it, it yep. wasn't good enough. Um, right. and I, you know, that's, that's kind of a whole nother psychological can of worms, but yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, interesting. Um, so working with your crew, you said you had, you know, instructors, um, shrinks, trainers, uh, yep. what, I guess my, my question is what, out of that, what was the most important in hindsight? What What do you think uh, correlated most strongly to your improvement?
1: You know what? And it it surprised me that I think the thing that on a day-to-day basis made me feel the best on the golf course was the shape that I was in. I, I, I thought that that was just something I would do because I'll cross that off the list and say I was being thorough. You know, okay, yeah, I went to see the golf physio guy, whatever. You know, and you told me I'm fat and, and it's fine. But I got I started to get into that and what happened was I started to get this feeling like as I was standing over the ball of of being like really solid and and feeling really um having a good foundation, feeling like I had my balance was better. Um and it even happened over putts, like I like my like my core literally it was like strong for the first time in my life. And so, like, my hands felt soft and, like, my arms moved nicely and I could – my hips were loose for the first time ever and I could I could turn differently. And, like, so there was a certain confidence that came from exercise um, that, that really surprised me and I think it was a huge difference. And it was also a thing that where, like, I could, like, by putting – like, I was in the gym every morning and by putting those hours in, like, I can see why these guys are now, like, the Rory's and whatever, like, addicted to it because – you know, getting good at golf by just sitting on the range and striping six irons. It's like, I, you can see that you're good or progressing or whatever, but there's something about like putting in hard hours of like sweat and you're like, I'm getting better. You know, I'm taking it to the next level. Um, that way that you feel like, you know, I'm doing what the other guy's not doing and all that stuff that so, so the, the gym became really, um, I, I was never a gym guy until, until paper tiger and I'm not now anymore. So that's good too. But, um, it was, uh, that, that was made a a big difference. Um, obviously learning my golf swing in and out was incredibly helpful because I could, you know, when I missed a shot, I never had to guess about why I knew why. And so that was always good. Um, and then, you know, the mental game, obviously incredibly important. And Dr. Bob Winters was a really great help to me. And, um, and I wish that, and that's probably a part of the story where, I would have maybe started with that earlier. Maybe that came in a little bit too late to kind of sink into my game as much as I wanted it to. But um, I I really was focused on, like, the physical aspect of, like, all right, I need to just get good enough where I can hit these numbers, these yardages, et cetera. So I thought I'll cap it off with some good mental game coaching. And and, and it did help. But, you know, becoming something that – starting to feel like an athlete surprisingly made this huge difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's very – I. It, it makes sense to me. I, I think just the confidence you speak of, and and I, I I do think, you know, the fitness it it can kind of change your your mind a little bit, your 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 outlook.
1: That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, I know it helped the golf, but it was it was it was like the confidence and the mental feeling of like um, I'm busting it, and uh, and I deserve good things out there because I'm busting it, and yeah. that that
0: that helped. All right, let me ask you this. If you could do it all over again, um, maybe not today, but if you could go back in time and do it all over again, would you?
1: Oh, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. What what a great life that was. Um, I mean, this is also pre-marriage, pre-kids for me. So um, that was good. Um, and no, not that I don't like being married and having kids. That came out wrong.
0: Um, it was easier to do then though.
1: <laughs> it was easier to do then. So it was this like incredibly entitled selfish wonderful life where I just got up every morning and all I had to do was golf. As I I would say, t- God. I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't take that? You know, hey, I and I love my life today and and it's and it's awesome and um and I'm I'm blessed and all that. Um but it was just such a wonderful year and a half of living. A year of living because golf, you know, can be and uh, needs to be a selfish game sometimes, um, a lot of the time, and uh, I uh, and it was a year of living very selfishly, and that
0: can be pretty fun, man. It's not bad. So, uh, is there anything you would change if if the goal was to purely maximize? Um, or, I guess, minimize in this case your, your handicap. If, if the goal is purely to get as, as um, to become as good as possible, is there anything that you would do different knowing what you know? Like, if you had to yeah. do another 18 month exper- experiment, um, would you cut out any of the instruction or, or would you, you know, schedule your, your time differently? Would you live somewhere else? Do, do you think you maximized uh, your shot?
1: I th- no I think there are definitely lessons that I learned doing it of like things that you could do differently. I would have probably lived on the west coast of Florida versus the versus the east coast. Um there's I mean there's there's like good golf around Tampa, Clearwater, um like in terms of like, you know, where the young sticks are and all that. But I I think I mean you guys are down there. I mean a lot of the players seem to be from like, I don't know, Palm Beach up to Jacksonville and, you know, there's um there's just a lot of uh Young and being around that, you know, that seemed to be where more guys were gravitating toward the, um, the East coast of Florida than the West. So I might've gone over there just to be around that golf. Cause I, you know, being around good golf makes for good golf. Um, and I, I may have pulled back a little bit on some of the technical stuff, like doing more, I would have probably done more tweaking than rebuilding. Um, because. It just rebuilding takes a lot of time, and um, I probably spent more time trying to find a swing than um, than I would have uh, liked to. Not because of what my coach said, because cause it was my choice. Um, and I would have played a hell of a lot more tournaments, too. Um, and, you know, I tried to get in everything that I could, but there's something about – there's no substitute for tournament golf. It's a different sport, and – If I was over on the west coast of Florida, I mean, I I I could probably find on a weekly basis a two or three day tournament to get into, and um, uh, and that I think would have that gives you a sort of sort of confidence that you can't you know fake that you know that this is that for that stage to become comfortable and like your regular game playing for money for four over four days,
0: that's uh that's invaluable and you
1: can't um you can't fake that.
0: So the 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 experiment ends in December of 2004. Talk to me about your relationship with golf over those next you know six to 12 months in 2005. Did you play much? Were you totally fried out? Um, How how did you kind of assimilate back into a normal uh, life?
1: It was um, it was it was a little tough golf wise. I mean, in terms of like what I'm doing day to day, you know, I'm writing the book and and stuff like that. But like after having binged like so hard on golf for so long, um, I was definitely ready to hang it up for a little while. Um, It was a little bit weird and foreign feeling because it had been, you know, I just was so accustomed to being out there and. I lived in golf shoes and I lived with a golf club in my hand for, for a year and a half. Um, so it just took a, a little while for like walking around <clears throat> my house and sitting in my desk, you know, for that to feel normal. So that was a little bit of a, a, an adjustment. Um, but in terms of actually playing, I, I, I it was hard. I, I didn't like golf for a while um, because I had played well. I gotten to a point where because I could recall like looking at a golf hole and thinking like I'm going to tear this shit up, you know, or or I know I'm this is I'm making 3 here, you know. And then for like a year later to go back to that same hole and think like, dude,
0: 5 would be really good. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> well, I, and that I was going to ask how quickly did the game go away? Pretty pretty quickly.
1: I mean, I, I don't think my handicap ever got back up above like 6 or 7, but um but then again, I wasn't playing a lot, and so who knows what it could have got to. Um, the uh, so it didn't totally vanish, but it just—it's hard when you like feel like your your best golf is behind you. So like, like what's the fucking point? You know, like the like we we play this game because it there's always that. Like I said, that sort of the way the golf makes you think like today's the day or like, it's all going to come together today and and I'm going to finally play as David Owen calls it my regular game. Like your, like your dream game, you know? Um, And, and, and if that temptation isn't there that, you know, you're, you're finally going to put it all together and maybe do something you haven't done before. um, It's, it's hard to get excited about it. Um, So I found myself having a hard time getting excited about uh, golf because I'd done, like, some pretty cool things on the golf course and doing Paper Tiger, and now I'm just back to uh, knocking it around in uh, Monday scrambles. Um, you're you you're chop like
0: the rest of us. I'm <laughs> back to being a
1: chop who's trying to win a shirt for the long drive at the uh, Maggie O'Neill's Golf Outing, you know? So it's like, man.
0: Um, yeah.
1: So it's hard. It's hard.
0: Do you think last question kind of about paper tiger and I have a couple to ask you um as, as parting ones. Uh, and when you've kind of touched on it but do you think the do you think the whole 18 month experience uh soured your 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 love of golf? Uh,
1: yeah, it um initially sour and then um it came back. It definitely. It was always kind of stirring there and lingering there, and and but actually, it took quite a while, really. You know, I go off, and you know, we've talked about. I did an Ireland book next, but there was a lot of time before I did that, and that book wasn't about trying to be good. It was just trying to like see Ireland and survive and all that. So, like, it took a while for me to start caring about, like, caring about a score again, and um, and I wanted to because that's just. I just love that self that ability to challenge yourself that golf gives you of like okay today I can be a stroke better than yesterday and it took a while to start caring about that again it took a while to grind <laughs> you know I was done grinding for I, it was probably years before I really gave a shit if the ball went in or not um, after after paper tiger but it did come back you can't shake it man it gets it's, it's you know it's got its it teeth in you and you're, I'm I'm certainly that that obsessed golf for today that, that I, that I was, I just play a lot less.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I hope for anybody listening, um, who hasn't read it, I, I would just urge them to, I, I, I think the details of, of your experience are there's, very um, intelligent insights. there's you know some some of your <laughs> failings are are rather funny. it's it's just a it's a great read. so um, and then you know the payoff is they can they can read about how it all culminated for you. Um, yeah, there's a happy ending, end. I promise. yeah, yeah. Um, there is. All right, two questions for you because this is yep. a book club. Um, it's two that I try to ask each each interviewee. And the first one is what golf books specifically and and golf writers uh, have 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 played the biggest role uh, in your career and have given you the most enjoyment?
1: Oh, good question. Um, So I really I I guess probably the golf book that um, Bamberger's To the Lynx Land, I think, is a a really um, just beautiful book. And that was an important book to me because I think it showed me that one that you can go out and live these adventures and write about them and they can work and be and be great but also that um showed me that you know coming you know the that prose mattered you know that that uh that to write a golf book didn't mean you just had to come up with crazy wacky things that happened on a golf course but that you could write with um that the sentences matter too. Cause he wrote a, the the book is full of beautiful sentences and James Dodson's books are the same way. Um, that golf literate, that there's not just golf books, but there can be like golf literature. And that, that was cool to know and, and inspired me. Cause you know, I'm coming from, my background was like an English lit and I came from a fine arts program and we, and I was kind of like, look, not, no one looked down on me for writing about golf. Um, especially when the book got published, but yeah. you know, then some of these, ah, screw you, suckers! <laughs> Look at me. No, they were all great and supportive, but there's something about like in academia, writing golf books is feels a little funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but like writers like Dodson and Bamberger, I think um, gave me uh, some inspiration to to know that golf could be literary in a you know in a successful way. So they there, I would say they would be two. Um, geez, what else have I read recently, um, that I liked? Or it could uh, be one
0: not recently. I mean, it could be one from, you know, one that you read a long time ago that's still...
1: Yeah. I'm looking at my bookshelf or, right
0: now. Yeah, or it can be none, or we can pass and go to the next question.
1: <laughs> I'm going to give all credit to Bamber and, and to the Lynx land, especially since I started writing so much about, um links golf. Um, and he writes better as well. Oh, you know who I was really inspired by is Jim Finnegan. Um, who not so maybe, maybe, you know, I've enjoyed his books very much. I mean, beautiful writer, but just as a person. Um, so Jim Finnegan, James Finnegan, um, he passed away about three or four years ago and was a writer from the Philadelphia area and wrote, beautiful odes to golf in Scotland and England and Wales. And so was, you know, was the links devotee before I was certainly. And, uh, it's just such a true, absolute gentleman. And I, I got to know him a little bit and, uh, just inspired me to just like be a better writer person, be more of a gentleman. Like he was just like straight class. And my books can be a little silly and goofy, and, and that's just – and I accept that, and that's how I am. That's fine. But um, he carried himself with grace, and I'm like, that's this kind of dude you want to be. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, last question, and I am going to mm-hmm. put you on the spot a little bit. What are you reading right now? And it can be totally unrelated to golf. What, what are some of the books you're reading or some of the good ones you've read recently?
1: All right. Uh, So let's look at what I'm reading right now. I'm reading a collection of nonfiction called In Fact, the Best of Creative Nonfiction. Uh, I'm reading Best American Short Stories, 2017. I'm in my office at school. Oh, perfect. I'm just going to go through a bunch of academic texts that I read for class. I'm reading Imaginative Writing by Janet Burroway. What am I reading for fun? Uh, Last book I read for fun on vacation was Our Kind of Cruel. Uh, which is this cool British book about like some guy who doesn't believe like that his girlfriend dumped him and it's really psychedelic crazy. Um, that's cool. And then I also just picked up something amazing happened. Um, and that's John Green's brother wrote that. I'm going to use that in a class. Um, is it something amazing happening or amazing? What's it called? Um, yeah, so I'm checking that out. Uh, and also on my nightstand is um, Beartown.
0: Oh, the guy. yeah, Bachman, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I just
1: started that on my last um, flight, and I'm totally into that.
0: Oh, we're, we'll have to talk about that. It's um, very relevant given some of the uh, current events going on recently.
1: Okay. I haven't yeah. gotten that far. Into it. I'm just, uh, digging into, um, I'm getting to know the folks in the town and it's, be- I mean, beautifully described. I love how he writes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it just sort of has a, it's just clean and clear and, um, just really,
0: really cool. So there's a sequel too that he just released maybe in the last oh, really? couple months. So if you enjoy Beartown, yeah, there's a uh, there's a follow-up which I actually just got but I have not started. It's on my uh it's in my queue. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, come
1: on. So, oh, the book was the Hank Green book is an absolutely remarkable thing. Just uh just came out in September. That's the one I'm reading for that my undergrads are going to read in their next fiction class. Okay. So, but yeah, a lot of my reading generally doesn't revolve around school. And that's probably why I don't read as many golf books because um, as a golf writer, maybe should or would um, because um, I'm reading things that I'll either use in the classroom or that my students are working on or or sometimes, honestly, there is this feeling that like if I am going to go away on vacation, like I'm not going to read a golf book because all I think about is golf and all i write about is golf and so sometimes i think you need to like read something totally away from your genre to just sort of stay fresh and interesting so yeah and then sometimes you read one you'll be like this is so much better than mine and you feel stupid (laughs) like why the hell am i doing this to myself i should just go read some bad poetry or something yeah
0: yeah um i i can i definitely commiserate with the with that (laughs) feeling for sure um all right. Well, I've I've taken up uh, a lot of your time. Thank you so much, Tom.
1: Um, Randy, that was super fun. You're you're great. I appreciate all your support. well you've been awesome.
0: It's uh, like I said um, in our other chat. It, it not not blowing smoke up your ass, but you you kind of the Ireland book specifically, and and really all your books have made me love golf uh, so much more than I would have. So it's. Uh, it's a treat to uh, to be able to talk to you. Thanks, dude. That means a lot. Max is the spot that track
1: draw. Hey. 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 I told him, straight drop this and zip lock that. Hey. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap. Yeah, I remember yeah. nothing. I didn't remember nights. I damn near went crazy. I had to get it right. Right. Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, Hey. now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite (laughs) trapper. The absolute truth. Yeah, no joke.